You're listening to the SHL Smart Teams Podcast, a show where we invite experts on people science to talk about how to build a future where businesses thrive because their people thrive. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to SHL's Talent Talks. My name is Andy Nellison. I, uh, I lead product strategy for our volume hiring solutions here at SHL. And we've been really diligently focused in working on um, kind of understanding the candidate experience with data and making decisions around how to create the right kinds of experiences for our candidates that ultimately lead to the right outcomes for our employer customers. And we've been leaning heavily on what I would argue is kind of the, the foremost expert in this topic, understanding candidate behavior with data, which is the talent board. So I'm super excited um, and thrilled to be joined by Kevin Grossman from the talent board. Kevin, welcome uh, and thanks for joining. Andrew, thank you so much. I'm super happy to be here this morning. Thank you. Well, this is a, this is a topic that I love. Uh, I've really been interested in, and as you know, we've talked uh, on this topic in the past. I, I've really been soaking up the good work that you've been doing for the better part of a decade, but I'm guessing that not all of our listeners are, are as aware about the talent board as I am. So I'd love to give you a chance to explain what you do and and how you you know how you've been collecting data for so long and, and just share a little bit about the talent board. Sure, thanks, Andrew. So we're kind of like the little research engine that could chugging up that hill, as I like to call it. Early on, um, it started uh, over nine years ago back in 2011 uh, within around the first year that had been put together i was an early volunteer for the organization so it was founded by jerry crispin elaine orler and ed newman and their idea at the time was listen we talk so much about what's not working in recruiting and candidate experience why don't we talk about what is and shine a light on companies that are actually raising the bar and have higher positive candidate ratings and an overall better level of perceived fairness in the process. So it started off as this labor of love survey research project that has since turned into um, the organization that I've been running for the past five years now, since the early involvement. And every year we work with hundreds of employers around the world, big and small across industries, and they target populations of their own candidates and get feedback from those candidates about their recruiting and hiring experience. And then we turn that into research reports, articles, do lots of educational activities throughout the year to share that data. That's great. I, I, one of the things that I find so fascinating, uh, fascinating about your work is the longitudinal nature of it. You know, you, you refresh the data every year, and so it gives you a sense a better sense for kind of how candidate behavior has evolved. And so I guess I'm curious, you know, when you think about, you know, 2011 till now, what, what are the big kind of macro shifts and changes that you've seen in candidate behavior? Well, it's, it's, it's funny because the, the way that I usually answer that, it's, it's more about what's been consistent year after year and mm -hmm. um, on, a, on the big picture. Now, there, of course, there are variances every year and things that change. But what, some of the things that are pretty consistent and that we will still see, I know we're going to talk more about the impact of COVID-19 on recruiting and hiring too and candidate experience, but the consistency that we've seen with companies who invest a lot more on consistent communication from pre-application to onboarding, that always drives higher positive candidate ratings. And because again, you know, think about this for a minute, most candidates job applicants 
and we call everybody candidates at Talent Board for that matter. We're all perpetual candidates at any given time. But those candidates, if you lined up 10 of them, four or five or six on the average are only going to research your organization and apply. And that's as far as they're ever going to get. And then a much smaller tier of, of candidates are going to get screened and interviewed, potentially get an offer. And then that maybe that one out of the 10 gets hired and gets the job. But we know consistent communication throughout the process, asking candidates for feedback and not only asking them for feedback, but providing feedback is a big driver, a competitive differentiator for that matter, year after year and what we see. And again, anytime when companies are investing in that, we see spikes in positive candidate sentiment, um, being more transparent about the process from beginning to end, especially today, which I know we're going to talk more about. That's a big, big, big deal and a big driver. And then all of these things and then expectation setting as well, asking, um, making sure that the candidates know what's going to happen before they apply, after they apply, if they get screened and interviewed, that expectation setting is really critical. And all of those things increase the level of perceived fairness overall. And it's not because it's not ha happy candidates, having happy candidates, having that aspirational sentiment internally is, is actually great and very positive, of course. But at the end of the day, it's just about fair. Do the candidates feel like the process was fair? And that that's another huge consistent. So that's what those are the things I think that that are the most consistent year after year that we see and important for companies to consider when they're thinking about improving their recruiting and hiring processes as it relates to candidate experience. Yeah, that bit on fairness, I think, is so important. And when you when you really dive into the data, you realize that the starting point for most candidates is that they're not going to be treated fairly. That's almost their starting expectation, which is really kind of a tragedy if you think about it. You know, we we want to we want our candidates broadly across the industry to feel like, yes, you know, I, these processes have my best interest in mind. But that that clearly is not the case for most candidates. And I think that probably leads to a word that I see more recently um, featured quite heavily in a lot of your research, with it, which is resentment. Is, is, is fairness, feedback, communication, are these kind of like the pillars of, of this emergence of candidate resentment in your mind? Well, oh, yeah, with the lack thereof. Yeah, right. Yeah, the lack thereof, for sure. Well, and that's, here, let me give a little defense of employers for just a second first, because that the the fact of the matter is we're in the business of no in recruiting and hiring we are going to say no to a lot more people than we ever will say yes to at any given time even for you know ongoing evergreen recruiting for high volume positions um that we're constantly hiring for we're still saying no to a lot more folks so that the resentment as we refer to it is all about candidates their willingness to to do things or not to do things again with that employer after this that initial experience. So for example, um, with their willingness to apply again or not, their willingness to refer others again or not, and their willingness to have a relationship period with the business and the brand going forward, whatever that means to the candidate. Now for consumer-based businesses, that also means they could be customers. And we know we work with lots of, of companies across the consumer-based organizations, um, uh, 
any and all. So whether it's hospitality, travel and leisure, retail, consumer goods, they all know that it, it definitely impacts the decision making of whether or not those candidates are going to be customers. So the resentment rate, as we refer to it, is literally based on um, one of the questions, one of the four key ratings questions we ask candidates. And that's, again, what kind of a relationship do you want to have going forward with this business and this brand based on your experience? And if they select, I had an overall negative candidate experience, I'm going to sever the relationship that percentage of those folks, that's the resentment rate. They're not willing to do anything else to, with that business and that brand. Now, that not everybody puts their money where their mouth is, right? But a, but if a, even if a percentage of those who say they're done do it, it can have significant impact. And that's a global phenomenon. It's correct? global, yeah. The, 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 the percentages vary. So like in, for example, North America, I kind of always say it tongue in cheek, although it's not necessarily funny, but it's the, the most vocal and the angriest candidates are in North America. Sure. And we see that every year in our data. It'll be interesting. Again, we'll talk more about that in a few minutes about the impact of this year, because I think that the listeners need to keep in mind that we've been only measuring candidate experience in nothing but a growth market for now over nine years. Job, month after month job growth, decades of the lowest unemployment rate. And now we've gone from that to the highest unemployment rates in 90 years. Yeah. So that's definitely will be interesting to see what those differences are. But um, so, yeah, and again, not every, not every candidate's going to put their money where their mouth is, but we know and a lot of the companies we work with are quantifying what that potential impact is. It's just not information that's shared publicly. Obviously, nobody wants to talk about what that loss could be, not publicly, especially for publicly traded companies. But we have we talk with them, we know, and what that impact can be at the end of the day. And um, we even have a business calculator, speaking of a resource that companies can use on our website at thetalentboard.org under our employee employer resources that they people can plug some numbers in and see that potential impact based on our global resentment rate, which is 11%, meaning 11% of last year's, of all of last year's candidates in our research said they would never do anything again with the company. Interesting. I, I definitely want to come back to the changing nature of talent pools here in a minute. But, you know, one of the things that we're doing at SHL, we, and we're thinking differently about the role that we play as, you know, an assessment partner to many, you know, global fortune, you know, 1,000, 10,000 organizations. Mm -hmm. And for years, we've been collecting all sorts of really powerful data and insight on candidates. And obviously, we package that data up and we give it to recruiters and hiring managers to help them make better decisions. But we have not historically done anything with that data um, in terms of feedback back to candidates. And so that's one of the things that we're now deploying is dynamic, in the moment, video-based feedback for candidates informed by um, their assessment results. And now there's a lot of kind of caveats to how we're gonna go about doing this and it's not specific feedback about the job, it's more foundational feedback that they can take with them as they think about their career pathing, et cetera. But um, really embracing the candidate as, an, as a stakeholder in this process in a different way 
is one of the things that, that we're hard at work on and, and, and looking to deploy uh, this video-based feedback, um, optionally, of course, uh, in the August timeframe. And, and that's really a result of, you know, partnering with you all and really embracing this idea of resentment and driving down the feeling of resentment, driving up the feeling of candidate fairness. That's, by the way, that's very important that of what you're doing because we've had so many conversations over the years. Um, the, the good news is that there are more progressive companies who understand that if I put the right guardrails up in place and the right processes around giving feedback to candidates, whether it be assessment-based or just screening-based, interview-based, whatever that is, a piece of job fit qualification feedback as to why I'm not going to pursue any further and things for you to think about as you, whether you apply with us again or go to another organization or looking for a position of what you should think about. And and companies, you know, they're they're leery of this, right? They're leery of this for litigation reasons. Yeah. Um, they're concerned, but we we know we've seen at least anecdotally those companies who have embedded this into their recruiting culture. It's it's really mostly paid nothing but dividends, and dividends in the sense of a more positive candidate experience, higher ratings, and an overall much better level of perceived fairness in the process. I mean, and and very. Um, appreciative candidate saying thanks for letting me know. Yeah, right. And that's the goal, right? That the candidates have been asking for ongoing transparent communication for years, yeah. and part of that is things like feedback. So it makes sense. Hey, Andrew, and one more quick note. I, I think it, it's it it's important to also note, and especially today, and 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 with the the sheer volume of 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 applications that companies are getting now more so than ever before because unfortunately of so many people that have been out of work in the past three to four months that the reality for the candidate is that again most of of us as candidates are only going to have automated exchanges yeah with that with that organization that's that's it and i mean unless i get screened and interviewed um, I'm all, all I'm getting is automated messages. So it's important for companies to understand and looking at their communication strategy and audit what they're telling candidates that are, are part of that automation. It's really super important. Yeah, no, uh, we uh, agree wholeheartedly. And, and we think there's a way to drive automation via technology, of course, uh, with, with a personal touch, you know, that's right. You can, yeah, you can. Well, I wanted to um, steer us, and maybe this is a good jumping off point, towards um, you penned and published a letter to candidates recently. I'm curious, help us understand what you were intending to communicate and, and why this was the moment to do that. Well, it's, we've all, I mean, most of us, and remember the, our experiences of when we have applied for jobs. And whether that was to the traditional route, whether it was we tried to network in and, and then still had to apply. I mean, whatever that scenario is, there's, I have a lot of, obviously with based on the work that we do, we have a lot of empathy for the 99 out of 100 for any given job that aren't going to get hired at that point in time. And so what even today, because it's kind of shifted, right? So think about this for a minute before COVID in the old world, as I've been referring to it, we, even in the lowest unemployment in decades, 
in the highest job growth year month after month for years, we still saw resentment go up dramatically, meaning from 2016 to 2019, candidate resentment in North America increased 40%, in EMEA 25% and APAC 10%. There's no trend in Latin America yet because we've only just started to capture that, that data this last year. But the, my, my point is, is that was then. And we also, companies saw an unprecedented level of can, candidate ghosting. Um, it's always been the other way around, like candidates are the ones that get ghosted and never hear back, but there's a lot of candidates, technology professionals in particular, and, and other roles too, that were, were that were doing that behavior. Well, now it's, again, completely different, right? Now we, we have, um, and you know, a lot of hourly workers who are out of work right now, but that said, even professional hires that have been laid off or furlough, furloughed, there's going to be a lot more people clamoring for the, the fewer jobs that are going to be available the next three, six, nine, twelve months, two years, who knows, right? We just can't read those tea leaves right now. But the, so the idea of what I wrote was just kind of a, a, just flipping of what we usually talk to employers about and just letting candidates know, listen, the reality is most of you are only going to get an automated message saying, thank you, but we're going to pass. And so, but you have a choice even if you don't think you have a choice, but you do, you have a choice to research employers that are trying to be more personable with their communication with you, that are providing enough information before you make that decision to apply on their career sites, hearing from other employees that work there about why they work there. What is their, you know, are they involved in any of, of the, of the social causes that we've, that have been the unrest that's happened in this world, not just about COVID-19, yeah. Right, racial inequality. And I mean, are these things that really are you're passionate about? Are they letting you know that before you apply? And even after you apply, are they communicating with you? Even if it's automated, what is it saying? Are they being clear and definitive with, with their language? You still have a choice to apply again, refer others and make purchases or influence them if it's a consumer business going forward. So it's just the same thing we tell employers that, that, candidate this is candidate behavior as a candidate you have that choice you may not feel like you do but you do at the end that's that was my argument well i mean i like it i think uh candidates had realized in the old world up until five months ago that they really did have some power i think the average candidate um, had three offers on the table active candidate right that was that was actively seeking new employment they had three at least three offers on the table so they realized that they had options and choice and a little bit of power and I, and in retrospect I'm glad right because that really drove our industry to embrace the needs of candidates in a real way um, and I think the word that I heard you say that, that we're trying to partner with our customers in a lot of different ways to kind of weave this more empathetic mindset into the process. And what does that mean exactly? How do we give more value to candidates? How do we embrace the needs of candidates? And those lessons learned just because the talent pools are shifting again. And I think we got to carry those lessons forward. Get really good candidates are still going to have options, even in a world of 40 plus million unemployed. That is correct. Yes, that is correct. And again, I just think it's it is the sheer you know volume of applicants that many mid-sized to global enterprises will be getting more so than ever before in the near future. Um, that you know it, it it's I kind of implore them to think about how your 
dispositioning candidates, how you're communicating with them. Yeah. Again, knowing that the majority of those folks in the front end of the funnel, as we like to say, are are it's going to be more automated also than ever before. That's another discussion, right? That we that we're having with lots of employers is you know they're doing more with less. That maybe they've had to lay off some recruiters of, yeah. of their talent acquisition team, and are furloughed folks that they can't bring back yet, and they have to do. I have to lean on automation more to on, on the front end. And so that's something that we're going to continue to see. Well, yeah, especially as those, you know, number of applicants per job numbers are going to just be, be skyrocketing, I would imagine, for most organizations. Yeah, here. it's already been happening. Yeah. 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 Well, tell, like, what are you, so what are you sharing then with employers as, as you see how they're responding to, to the pandemic in particular? I know you've done some, some new research, some, uh, very recent on how organizations are responding. What are you seeing? What are you telling? What are you sharing? Help us understand how we should respond. Sure. So we we decided, and besides the core benchmark research that we do, which is which does involve asking employers what they're doing in recruitment and then targeting a population of their candidates to get that feedback. Back back in the middle of March, we just started doing these very brief, short coronavirus at work surveys of 10 to 12 questions max asking employers in our candy community and beyond what is it how are they dealing with this what are they doing how has it impacted their hiring um, are they laying off and furloughing employees are they redeploying displaced workers in other parts of the organization which the good news there is that we have seen that go up um, um, between our last two surveys in april and into june um we saw that increase by 16%, which was really nice. We, what's something that's, and, and again, I know not every company has something to say about the impact of COVID-19 on their recruiting and hiring. And um, we, you know, but the, only about a third have put something on their career sites to say, hey, we're not hiring now because of COVID, but we still want you to, thanks for stopping by check out these things, whatever that means. Um, and or this is how we're, we're addressing it. We are trying to get some of our furloughed employees to work at other organizations. Whatever that statement is, only about a third said that they're, they're sharing that. But about three-fourths, though, of employers um, have, been, have some kind of communications plan in place for their, their candidates, for their employees as well in this continuous um, and that's that's actually super important. So it was nice to see at least that was much higher. And then a public marketing communications plan, that's increased again a little bit between the last two mini surveys that we've done. It's about two thirds of companies say that they have some public facing communications plan in place. And, you know, as consumers, many of us, whether, you know, when we used to fly, <laughs> back in the day or when we, you know, hotels that we would frequent or um, other, you know, consumer-based companies that we've engaged with that you may have probably gotten those emails from them saying, this is how we're dealing with it today. We wanted to let you, the customer know. About two thirds of companies are doing that. Um, and then about um, the good news is that those who say that they have outlined a, a kind of recruiting and hiring plan post-coronavirus, which I think, I, 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 I wish I would stop saying that because I don't think we're ever going to be post-COVID. No, I know I we like to think that we are, even with a vaccine, but we're, the world's never going to be the same. So 
that said, there's that companies who have plans in place that increased another 17%, about 21% they did, about 47% said that they're working on it. And that increased slightly from the last time that we, we asked them. So that's the good news is that there are companies who are not only planning on what they're going to do as they begin to hire again, but also they're planning for those at-risk employees who can't return, those who are at risk for from a health perspective, um, those who have school-age kids come fall again. That's going to be a mixed hybrid of going back to school. Like we have two daughters and we know that's going to be a reality. And then, you know, there's what's interesting right now is that for uh, companies who have um, certain hourly positions that there's employees that are refusing to come back to work right now yeah. because of their benefits that they're receiving at least through the end of July. So that's been another thing that employers have had to deal with. So planning for that and then just safety protocols back at work for those who will come back to the office, the plant, the store, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, and 90% of companies have something in place for that. Um, and then 84% actually just to answer that question are planning for those who can't return. So that's just a quick snapshot of companies are in the midst now of if they're not already hiring back, figuring out what that looks like. Yeah, we, um, I just think the, I agree with you that this is a moment that is not going to have an end to it. This is no. new normal and all that. And we, I have a sister organization at SHL called PDRI that does a lot of high stakes work often with the government and they produce a lot of research. They, they produced some research recently that was published in the Harvard Business Review titled what leads to organizational agility. It's not what you think. And so, as you know, so many, so many organizations are looking for more agile employees. The world of work is changing more rapidly than ever. And so the concept of agility is really, intriguing, I think, to a lot of hiring managers. And when we dug into like what really is a driver of organizational agility for employees, one of the things that emerged that is not com like commonly considered is stability. So employees need to feel like they are secure enough to be able to be bold, to be able to be innovative, right? To, to, to push the boundaries and to really be agile. But that true feeling of stability is a, a bedrock foundation in order to kind of drive that behavior that I think employers are so anxious to find more of. And so how, how do you weave that into your employer value proposition? Get, because I think, I think candidates are going to be responding to things like stability in powerful ways now. Let's say that you were furloughed, right? Let's say that you were laid off. You, it's more important to embrace an organization that A, is going to treat you fairly, and B, you're going to feel stable within, that you can thrive based on that stability. And you are you might give up things like compensation and overall benefits in exchange for some of those more foundational um, kind of, you know, lovers, right? So, and how that weaves into how we communicate to our candidates, I think is going to be really, really important for our, uh, our hiring organizations moving forward. It is, you know, besides the World Health Organization, the CDC and other healthcare organizations, who plans for a pandemic, right? I mean, it's just not a, I, just not a reality for even, even Fortune, you know, 100 companies, et cetera. I mean, it's, it's, you, these are things that maybe are, are somewhat considered, but so for companies that were considered to be stable 
and provide that stability to their employees, everybody was rocked, yeah. right? And I think some industries fared better, of course they did, and some thrived, a few, uh, you know, logistics, sure. um, the list, but supply chain, del delivery, food delivery. But I think that it's important to note that the, the fragility of stability is, will continue to be quite prevalent. And I think that's a reality that um, it's, it's, it is, it's hard. It's, it, it, that, you know, what one day we thought we would be here and the next day our, our leaders are telling us we have to let you go. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's tough. That's, that's, that's a reality though that we've had to deal with. So. Well, Kevin, I've really enjoyed our discussion, but more than that, I really am a true appreciator of the work that you all do at the Talent Board. Is there anything new or upcoming that you'd like to share with our, our audience and where can they learn more about your organization? Well, I didn't want to end on that that sad note. So, <laughs> I mean, because I mean, it's reality, yes. But we, so we've got uh, everything on our site meaning the research that we put out every year, the articles, the educational activities that we provide, everything is free to, to check out at our site at thetalentboard.org, thetalentboard.org. And companies who are interested in benchmarking their candidate experience can check that out as well. And we have many events coming up in, in uh, September all the way into November. So it's pretty exciting um, what we got going on. Good stuff. Um, to our listeners, thank you so much for joining. Kevin, really appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Oh, Andrew, thank you. All right, take care. Bye-bye, all. Thanks for listening to the SHL Smart Teams podcast. To learn more about how SHL helps companies leverage their greatest asset, their people, please visit shl.com.